Hello and welcome to Set Podcast to Stun, the podcast where we explore, explain, and enjoy the Star Trek franchise. I'm Clint the Q, joined by Captain Corey and Chancellor Emily from the House of Rue. Hello, everyone. Hello! Better not look at me like that, Clint. Corey, what are you doing? Why are you crossing your eyes? Oh, oh no! Oh, I've been turned into a cactus! Oh. That bit was about as good as it was the first time we rehearsed it. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that bit was about as good as this entire episode, and I would agree. We're 58 seconds in. Emily, you didn't say kapla. You did the... Yeah, I was looking forward to that. I don't know. Well, maybe that can be an Easter egg. I have to say kapla at least once every episode. I'll, I'll sneak it in different places. <laughs> how's your How's your babble on Klingon going? Uh, it's pretty good. We just watched a uh, a TNG episode that was very heavy on on Klingon, so I was pleased. Mm. Was it Redemption? Uh, yes, I think so. Which one is that? Is that the Civil War one? I don't know. I was hoping... The season finale. I mean, I was going to say the one where, but I didn't want to give any spoilers. Oh, well, I I think it's a little late for it's TNG spoilers. Late. The I one... Think it's, I think that's three decades late. The one where, uh... That's my one shtick on this show. Worf, uh, gets... He joins the Klingon Civil War and gets his Klingon name back. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. I think it's a two-parter. It is a two-parter. Yeah, it was great. Um, mm-hmm. I. It's funny. They really display the, or they sort of introduce the Klingons as these like tough warriors. But the every episode with them is this like geopolitical like gossiping, and they have like the most complex social rituals, and like these guys are like very uh high context cultural society my my favorite part i totally agree and and my favorite part about that those two episodes and any episodes that feature the cleaning on home world is it is always the same matte <laughs> painting of i guess their their palace building and then the the palace throne mm-hmm. room itself and then maybe maybe once they like leave this the, like they go to another little house but that is it. That's all that you get to see of like the Klingon homeworld. Matte painting, palace, throne room. They're very private, you know. <laughs> it's like if they visited Earth and all you saw was like a matte painting of the White House and then just the <laughs> Oval Office. Like, this is Earth. My only criticism of Klingon architecture is that everything's like brown, like a reddish brown, just kind of like ugly grayness. Like, I wish they would kind of like inject some color. In, into into their living habitats. All of the color um, comes directly from Galron's lavender blue eyes. Uh, Galron's pretty great. You know, Galron doesn't live on the Klingon home planet. Okay? You can't just bring him up every single time we talk about <laughs> I, I, He's my favorite. Uh, I once saw a picture on social media of someone was like, my husband said that this goat has Galron eyes. And I was like, this is the quality content I come to the internet for. <laughs> That's... All to say that this is much more interesting than the episode we're about to oh, talk boy, about. I hated, it. I, I hated this episode. This was a bad. Really, episode. I actually thought this was better than the episodes we've seen before. Clint, you're fired from your own <laughs> podcast. This sucked. <laughs> you're gonna vote me out. Can we? Can oh, why don't you do your uh, your synopsis, sure. Clint? Uh, So this week, the Enterprise is delivering a 17-year-old boy who has spent his entire life in isolation on a distant planet. 
But is this mysterious young man more mysterious than he seems? <laughs> the answer is yes, he is. Let's talk about the first thing that needs to get out of Charlie. out of the way is the world's most punchable <laughs> face. Oh my gosh, this boy had a face like a uh, fill in the blank, Clint. I'm not. I don't. I'm not. My simile generators not working. Like a toadstool. He looks like a cartoon drawing of a kid from the 1950s. I like. I've always liked this expression. He he has a face like a slapped ass. <laughs> uh, very appropriate because he does at one point slap an ass. He does, and, and we get to have the best scene in the entire episode of Kirk just fumbling through, explaining to him as a, like a faux father figure of why you're not supposed to do that. Uh I loved how just how unprepared he was for like a, a father son. Yeah, I mean, talk. if you like the idea of Kirk being awkward about puberty, this this would be your episode for sure. Yeah, so I think the best part of that conversation is when Kirk says there's no good way to hit a woman. Um, but I don't know. Just ask Spock. He knows how to hit a woman pretty good, as we saw in the well, trap. Maybe murder. He's more murderous. <laughs> It is. Yeah. It has literally been the solution to two of the three episodes that we've watched so far. Buck's like, when a man goes into pun far and he needs to mate with a woman, he either has to mate or kill someone. Speaking of Spock, it we definitely have not really seen the personality yet that will become mm. the famous Spock personality. Like he's very, he's been very violent in the last couple of episodes. Not not so much violent, I suppose, but like pragmatic. Uh, he knows that, that that violence is the only solution to the problems that they've faced so far. And then in this episode, we had what I actually thought was a really charming scene. When it, when it started, I, I thought I wasn't going to like it very much, but I, I kind of liked it. The scene in the cantina where um, Spock is playing the space mandolin. I don't know what he's playing. And then Uhura is singing along with it. And they're singing like a like a like an old nautical song. Um, and they're just kind of having fun, and Spock, Smock, Spock is smiling while he's playing the mandolin, and it was just kind of a cool scene. I did not like that scene as much. I'm not sure. What about? What do you think about it, Emily? I mean, I did, but not for like good reasons. I thought it was really like funny, but I felt like I was laughing at it, not with it. I, it like they have all these people in the canteen around them, and and the people are like giggling, so it's like they have a laugh track. Yeah. Well, do you think O'Hara is a good a good singer? I mean, I'm sorry, but I like her, but I don't think that she has a great singing voice. And I just want to say, anytime I say anything interesting, it's because I read it on IMDb before we recorded. <laughs> but I, I was reading that initially in that scene, she was just going to mimic the voices of other crew members as her like way of entertaining everybody. Like that's her skill. That would have made a little bit more sense as to why everybody was like laughing and watching them hang out and sing i mean maybe i'm dead inside but like the idea of watching two people just sort of jam doesn't doesn't really vibe with she's me. supposed to be like improving those lyrics right yeah she's like singing about the mm -hmm. people in the canteen yeah i don't know i i thought it was really nice to see them kind of bond together and have two crew members talk to each other um in a way that kind of built rapport between them but it what the tone was weird, like it did kind of just come out of nowhere. But they wanted to showcase uh, Michelle. What's I'm sorry, what's the name? I of the don't, I'm not sure. Michelle Norris. Yeah, 
No idea. Is that an NPR spot? Gosh. Uh, oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> they, but they wanted to showcase like her, her past of singing, so that's why they, they did that scene. Okay. All right. I'm coming around to it now, the more you talk about it. Like, I think you're right. We are getting some like personality of the crew, which is sort of what we've been missing so far. Okay, I'm coming You around. are right, Corey, that it's cool to have a nice little spot where the crew's kind of like letting their hair down and interacting with each other. I just thought the song she song was just so weird she's talking about how like spock's touch would barbarize and his alien love would victimize and i'm like are you just singing about how spock like sexually assaults women and like how female astronauts should like watch out for spock like it's a it's a like i'm with her moment (laughs) well why uh why be concerned about implied sexual assault when there is actual sexual assault in this episode but i could i think we'll get to that a little bit later on it was a it was an old scottish sailing song and he she was just changing around a couple of the mm. lyrics i think oh and then so let's talk about charlie because i thought it was weird too that ohira was singing not singing about him but like the things she was singing about about him like looking for his first embrace and then she was talking she was like making references about how charlie had a crush on um janice or or janice and i think it's one a weird thing to like publicly call out or it was also like she was weirdly into it if that makes sense like i thought it was one it's an inappropriate relationship and for her to bring it up like that too is all like even more inappropriate i will say i was at a restaurant once with my dad and it was just the two of us eating and a uh, a, a waitress about my age came up she, you know she's she's pretty and my dad says hey what do you think of my son oh. uh, and that was the worst moment of my life <laughs> I think <laughs> there's nothing worse than having someone you know call out some sort of like like romantic like implication it is it is it makes you feel about two inches high so <laughs> If I could have made my father disappear at that moment, I would have done it. That does sort of play into Ohura having fun teasing him about it, though. She's like, I'm your mom, and I'm going to make you embarrassed. Well, he gets his revenge on everybody. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess let's talk about about Charlie. He definitely, I said the, I took a note that the actor is doing a great job of playing a weirdo. Yeah, apparently he, like, locked, he, like, Daniel Day-Lewis himself and, like, locked himself in the room. Uh, and didn't and didn't like hang out with anybody during filming because he wanted to be like an alien sort of like remote person to all the other oh, actors. That's crazy. So One of the notes I had is that uh, the Star Trek seems very interested so far in like these soul survivors or like feral children. Mm-hmm. Um, like the one with the salt monster had those two people on the planet on their own, and then you find out it's just that one man and. Um, can't the very first pilot right they're like this girl is the only living survivor and um that seems to be a real theme this idea of like feral children yeah if you go out into the universe you better be prepared to you know be in a a spaceship crash and be the only one to survive yeah that's like 100 percent gonna happen to you at some point that I think it plays into the old, like the old, I don't know, Socratic idea that like, or P- Plato, who said that men can't live outside of nature, only animals and gods. I'm sorry, men can't live outside of civilization, only gods and beasts mm-hmm. can. So like, if, 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 if people leave the, 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 the town, the city, you Humanity. know, the, whatever, they devolve 
they devolve a little bit and they either they ascend and are just like, you know, Siddhartha or they become the worst parts of humanity. Oh, interesting. That is what interesting. What a great quote to bring in. Yeah. I was thinking that it was like in the 60s, um, this idea of like dropping out became really interesting and popular and like what you know what would it be like if you were able to exist outside of society man and we kind of at the beginning like charlie is kind of charming like janice walks by and he's like is that a girl uh and you can kind of see them being like wow what would it be like if you didn't grow up in society but then you know it always turns negative and he ends up being a creep well they were also impressed too about like how how much she can like talk you know and how kind of almost socialized he is for someone who's been isolated his entire life. Right around like the mid 60s, there was a feral child named Jeannie. Um, and she was found, I think she was like maybe 12. Corey, you might be able to jump in on this if you know any of it. But she um, she had been like really severely uh, abused and, neglect and neglected and isolated. And so she didn't learn to talk. Um, so from about 20 months old until she was 13, um, she was just trapped in a dark room in a crib, like tied to a crib. Yeah. Yeah, and... no, I've heard of this. And I, I remember, oh, I was just going to say, like, I remember that, and that's, there's been like a couple of cases of, of children being isolated without any kind of like family to raise them. And like linguists, for example, are always very interested in like, what's the natural language that people will yeah. develop um without any and, kind of yeah, guidance so with Jeannie the thing that they found was that like she couldn't develop language she couldn't develop skills there there were some things she could catch up on like walking and eating but then there were other like um cognitive things that she never could catch up to and and language was one of those and so mm -hmm. that was the idea that like if you don't hear language at, at a certain point when you're developing like as a very young child you won't ever develop the ability for language. Um, I, although I just looked it up and she was discovered in 1970. So I can forgive Star Trek for being like, oh, he's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, he had those tapes that, the, that he talked to. Oh, that's right. He the had tapes, the tapes, yeah. yeah. But really, he was raised by floating the, the, green heads. That's right. I forgot about the floating green heads. I hated this episode, so I kind of stopped paying attention after a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> what was the uh the air date for no, this episode do you know because i was thinking when i first started watching this like oh my god this is it's a good life the twilight zone episode yeah, that's what i was thinking too boy. yeah that's what i was thinking who sends him to the yeah. cornfield because that uh -huh. that aired yeah that aired 1961 and this was i mean this was been 64 or 65 66. This was 66. Okay. Yeah, it's 100% that episode. It's a good thing you did that, Daniel. <laughs> yeah. We like you, Charlie. It definitely uh, it definitely has that vibe of that that one um Twilight Zone episode of like, you know, the town held hostage by a kid. It's the same thing except it's it's a teen and a and a starship. It's a teen who's confused about his boners. It, it was it was a I, I really really did not like this episode. I I didn't like the kid's face. I didn't like the conflict. Was that he was just confused and and the like the inter 
prize clue crew was just slowly trying to like find out that oh my gosh he's like really really bad i didn't like that the whole middle part of the episode just sagged as like we find out all like the bad stuff that he does and that it's impossible to stop him and then like the last scene just like took like five minutes as he's like no please don't let them take me and then they all thought that was depressing too the Um, last part of it where he's like yeah, yeah, no, it sucked. It all sucked. The whole time I was like, are we supposed to feel sympathetic for Charlie? Because I feel zero sim- sympathy. Like, I felt like they were supposed to be, they were trying to, like, turn him into this character who we were supposed to, like, have pity for and be like, oh, no. And But I didn't. Like, the whole time I was just, like, Spock in that other episode. I'm like, kill him. It's the only solution. Yeah. Let, let us, for a moment, get out of the, the vagueness. And I'd like us, if we can, to just remember all like the terrible shit that he does to the Enterprise crew. Because his trigger is that if anyone, if he perceives that someone's trying to hurt they him or nice make fun me. of him, he will do really yeah. bad. Yeah, he will do really bad things to them. So first thing I can remember is he makes, uh, he turns a, a, a young woman yep. into an oh, iguana because that was kind of she gets it his way. Uh, that was. She- she made he makes a, a a young woman turn into a very old lady and that old lady screams and i can only imagine the casting director says to this this older woman who's an extra on star trek basically touch your face and scream because you're old right also once again is this the second this is the third episode where the worst punishment the worst thing that can happen to a woman is to be old <laughs> that's the overarching theme of, of star trek he makes Sam, the cool dude in the gym, disappear because Sam oh. laughed at him when he fell. And as far as we know, Sam never came back. Only Nurse Janet came no, back yeah, at the I end think of he, the episode. They say that they, bring, they brought everyone back. Yeah, yeah. He's he like, he, he exploded back. a ship because mm-hmm. the ship was going to say that he was a dick. He melted a bunch of chess pieces because he lost. Those poor chess pieces. Oh, and... and uh, that was the I'm sorry. He made he made a one woman totally faceless. Yeah, that was the best one. I was waiting for you guys to bring that up. I that, think it's a whole crowd of people and you only saw the one woman. That one was legitimately scary. I was like, "Ooh, well played." Yeah, that was a cool one. That was my favorite thing that he did was made them no faces. If I can bring back the chess piece melting thing. What happens is uh Kirk is playing with Spock. Kirk beats Spock at three-dimensional chess. Yeah, Spock's over too. I wanted to bring that up again too. That <laughs> Spock just can't beat Kirk and Chess. Those roguish moves. Kirk invites the boy to play against Spock. Uh, they start playing. Spock's like, "Hey, you're gonna make a bad move, Charlie." And Charlie's like, "I know what I'm doing." And then Charlie loses, and he Spock leaves. And then Charlie does for the very first time that episode his weird, the freaking head tilted down <laughs> eyes up all the way so you only see the whites of his eyes and then like shakes his head like like ah, like trembling hilarious. and that that tells you that he's using his power but he doesn't use it all the time like he didn't use it when he destroyed an entire ship but he definitely used it when he <laughs> melted some chess pieces maybe it's so maybe it's based on the material you know some material is just easier to melt than others <laughs> Probably. I really blame the lack of supervision on the Enterprise because they just bring him on board and they just let him wander around the ship and do whatever he wants. They don't like have anyone. They're like, well, this kid's been on his own for 14 years, so he can. So we'll just let him fine. wander around the ship. He doesn't need a chaperone. 
So he's like going around um, watching people doing their jobs, watching guys. Yeah, he's slapping watching ladies guys asses. slap each other in the butts and then doing that to ladies. It, it's also, it's exactly the uh, man trap episode, I think, where the salt monster just wanders around the Enterprise for like an hour. Yes. Yes, Emily, this is what I'm saying. The second act in all of these episodes is just garbage. Why, and it was when I was watching TNG and it's because there's no B plot. Like mm-hmm. normally Yeah, there's Oh my god, you're right. You know, there's another plot that you can cut between, but there isn't. So they just follow one and you're like, "Oh my god, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I get it." <laughs> Well, also, when he's, like, taking control of the ship, there's just, like, crew members just, like, wandering around the hallways. Like, they're acting like the ship hasn't been taken over by, a, like, a horny 17-year-old. You know? There's just, like... And and they never really... They never really explain, like, what taking over the ship means. Because, like, his powers, he can turn some things into other things. He's, like, he has yeah, transmuting he said they power. Have, he has transmuting... But, like... He can transmute objects or make things invisible, which I thought was weird. Like, can he read minds? Because he, too, like went to janice and was like oh here's this perfume you like and she's like where'd you get this yeah no it was it was very undefined which was which was kind of annoying um and their their solution at the end to me see what i and i and so i agree with what you're saying emily and i the thing i didn't like about this episode is there was no like the crew talking about like we have this problem how do we solve it most of the episode was following Charlie around and seeing all like the messed up stuff that he did. There was no like frantic conference. That's why I love TNG is like when there's a problem, those conference, <laughs> uh, the ready room meetings are just fantastic. Like they're so, the, I love those scenes. And that wasn't in this one. They had like a couple discussions like, oh, this boy, he's, we don't know really what to do with him. And then at the very end, Kirk's like, turn everything <laughs> on and right. I'll punch and- him. Try and, try and Captain, overload that didn't him. didn't work last week. Why do you keep suggesting that? It's going to work sometime. Yeah, well, and then you get this duex machina that just comes in and they're mm-hmm. like, surprise, he did have parents. It's us uh, floating heads. We're going to take him back now. And I'm like, what the fuck? I was wondering what kind of shit did they do to Charlie? Because he, he wanted to escape from them so bad. And he was so terrified about these because he's like a human who's been like given been given magical powers by this alien race that discovered him. He survived alone on this planet for a very long time. Why was he so afraid of them? Like he was terrified at the end of the episode to like go back to them. Like they raised him, they they Ew. kept him alive. It was very strange. He was terrified. So what to it go seemed like to, to me was he was and what he was saying is like they don't feel like human like they don't they don't have human emotions, so they can't give him what he needs emotionally. And then they're also ethereal. So, like, he doesn't, he hasn't, like, t- he doesn't have that sense, you know, like, he A doesn't touch. touch them. There's no physical touch. So it's basically just they can't give him uh, the love that he needs. Um, I... Maybe we should have hooked up Charlie with that um, salt sucker and they could have loved <laughs> each other. That would have been great. I See, again, it's that same episode because the salt monster just wanted love and salt and charlie wants love and butts but yeah i kind of thought it was like they they are you can't touch them and then i thought his overreaction was like he's a brat and he was faking being like a chill dude the whole time that he was faking that so do you guys think that the enterprise crew did the right thing by giving charlie up 
I, I think so, yeah. I mean, he he didn't do that initially. He was like, when the when the aliens visited the ship and they're like, you need to give us back Charlie, he's dangerous. Kirk thought about it and then he's like, no, he needs to stay with his kind. And then they're like, he is going, like, you idiot. Do you see what he did to your ship just now? Like, you you have to you have to give him back. There's no way to get rid of those I powers. I think so because at the beginning of the episode, Charlie's, like, very, like, acting very naive and sweet and like he's trying to charm everyone around him but as soon as he gets away from like kirk he starts being like really aggressive and creepy and he gets like more and more angry and has all these outbursts so like i think he is like genuinely kind of evil or at least maybe has no empathy and he just purposely fakes being nice to kind of try and get what he wants which makes him truly quite evil Uh, yeah totally well he doesn't though but he's just a a person who spent his whole life alone so he's finally meets people and he just wants to be liked by people and he doesn't understand why people don't like him so okay clint you can put him on your (laughs) ship i don't think that's real like that's what charlie says but he acts disingenuously like he says i just want people to like him uh, or he says, I just want people to like me or like, I, I don't understand these things, but then he does understand it enough to try and manipulate people. Like, what, what do you mean? Like he manipulates people? Well, like he tries to like win over Janice and when she's like, Hey buddy, like I'm not into you, but like, thanks or whatever. She kind of rebuffs him. He like tries to rape her in her room when no one else is around. Like, And he acts kinder and, like, sweeter in front of, like, Kirk at the beginning. And he tries to be... So, like, I feel like he's faking that. And he's really, like, an evil child. I want to talk about the the Janet thing really quick. Because I I do not want this to be victim-blaming. I'm not going in this direction. But she's, like, in her 30s. And this 17-year-old comes to her and is like, here's some perfume. You want to hang out later? And she's like, sure. Why don't we hang out tonight at 4 o'clock in a bar? Like, come on. Well, she does try and throw cold water on it. And she tries to, like, pawn Charlie off on that Tina woman. Yeah. And he's just not interested in it. That's right. That's right. And she's trying to be delicate about it, too, because she knows that he doesn't, he's, you know, not really the most stable person so she goes to the captain and she's like, you need to talk to him because it's either you need to tell him to back off or I'm going to tell him to back off. And if I do it, it'll probably hurt him more. So I don't think it's not like she was trying to. I don't know. I think she was trying to be friendly. And then it kind of got to be out of hand. And then and then she didn't know what what to do or she did know what to do. Like she she was I thought she did a good job of being like, you know, like I'm going to lock my door when I want to lock my door and yeah. that sort of stuff. And then it, it kind of got out of hand where he. He disappeared her. That scene is also weird because it's it's almost like we're either she's sort of like just trying to placate him because she doesn't know what he's going to do. And she's like, yeah, sure. Come to this place where we'll be in public. And all right. Um, Like she either seems caught off guard or maybe psychically influenced. Like I thought that scene was supposed to be somehow that. Uh, But even the fact that we can't really tell whether charlie is aware of what he's doing or like that is just kind of more evidence that this is like a sloppy episode see i just thought he was very emotionally immature and like you know he brings her the perfume you know what i like to see when i sit down one 
one or two times a week to watch some space television is a moody teenager brooding around a ship. The worst thing about this episode is that it's ultimately, besides the horrendous things he does, it's very boring, right? There's no space adventure going on. This could have been a Wild West episode or whatever. Like, it, 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 I, I'm not interested in this boy and his Except mood. there was one really great scene, and it was totally inexplicable, unnecessary. I have no idea why they did this, but... Kirk at some point decides that the solution is to like teach him gymnastics or tumbling and he's shirtless just sort of like rolling around and like come on I'll show you and then he's like I thought you were gonna show me how to fight and he's like you gotta learn how to fall first and I really felt like that was just a deeply homoerotic scene and the only reason was to have William Shatner shirtless. Emily do you want to mention the second best thing about that episode besides that? is what they're what they're wearing they have on either you're wearing tights or you're wearing a robe but in either in either case it has the star trek (laughs) (laughs) the star trek symbol on it uh, on either the tights or the robe and i just i would love a pair of that you wear them together well i know what i'm getting for you for christmas yeah That's what all three of us will wear every time we record from now on. <laughs> that's what I'm wearing right now. Oh, that's right. We can definitely see you. No, I'm actually wearing my Starfleet uh, smokers jacket. And nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> I So I think it's more of a, a, you know, another one of those like absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah, two of those I mean, in Charlie a row. Kind of is the problem, but the bigger problem is that he has superpowers, and just someone with superpowers can't, you know, exist in a in a population without superpowers. Um, that's the argument they made. So I was wondering if he's is he like a a nuke analogy? Like, is Charlie kind of like an analogy of like why we shouldn't have nukes? Hmm. Because they're very <laughs> moody. It's it's interesting too because the other episode that had that was like the guy had developed psychic superpowers uh so there is something there again they seem very interested in like psychic mind expansion it seems like is this just a warning about the hippies right don't drop out of society don't expand your mind (laughs) this the hippies are gonna kill us all with their psychic powers (laughs) I I would love to say that this episode is an allegory for that, but in reality, I think they were told that they had to shoot eight episodes, and they got to this one, and they're like, well, we don't have enough money to do any outside shots, so we're going to do this entirely inside mm. of the Enterprise. We just need the budget to get one iguana <laughs> and one old lady, and that that's all we need for props, and... They shot this episode, and it was a bottom of the barrel script. I don't, I don't see any allegory like about nukes. I, I thought the last episode was way more of a powerful, like, like what would happen if you, because he's not increasing in his power, yeah. right? He only wants lust. He wants to fulfill the things that humans want to fulfill, and he's untrained and unsupervised. He's just a wild animal on the ship. Um, I really thought too that Kirk really didn't fight that hard for Charlie. He's, they're just like, we're going to have to take Charlie. And he's like, what? Oh, no. Take Charlie? No. Oh, please. Can't he stay here? And it's like, he can't. Oh, well. Yeah. 
I think I'm interested to see. So uh, I mentioned that I watched this with uh, James, Clint's friend and my uh, partner, and um, he has this theory that all Star Trek seasons uh, get really boring in the middle, and then at the end of the season they get really good. Uh, and is pretty spot on so far. And so I'm kind of curious if things are going to get better, like they're going to start sloping up and we're just in that like bottom of the U curve, uh, or if it's just, if it's just going to stay here. I've talked to my partner about this and I genuinely think that it is, I will never, I don't think I will ever like this first season, um, because it's just, like I have no nostalgic attachment to it and all of the stories are kind of old hat now, you know, like yeah. it's all been done before. Mm. And yeah, I don't know. Like I will have seen all of these scripts already and it's not the show's fault at all. Cause like when it came out, I'm sure everything was just like, yeah, that's true. Crap. It does feel very but, dated. Like I've been watching TNG and those aired in like 1990, 1991. And there's been like one time where I was like, Oh wow, that's a very pre nine 11 episode. But other than that, they don't feel that dated to me, even though they're like, you know, 30 years old at this point. Um, but yeah, this feels like these don't feel like timeless cinema. No, like I, I think that people will not be watching these in like 50 years. They'll be like, oh, yeah, that was there was an old show. Let's watch the three episodes that were actually really good. I don't Clint, think I'm people sorry. Are it's a good show it now, except for us. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely not a ride or die uh, TOSer. Um, I think I enjoy these a little bit more. I don't know. Um, but yeah, they're definitely different from later Star Treks. And I think the our society had to catch up with the idea of of what Star Trek is before it could really be itself without having too much interference from studios not thinking it could sell. I think too in later decades there's more of like an emphasis on interpersonal drama outside of shows set in the home. Like, I just went through a big spate of TNG where, like, Data gets a girlfriend, Dr. Crusher gets a boyfriend, and, like, the big drama is, like, ooh la la. Um, I can't imagine that being, like, the driving plot of this. Um, and so maybe that's part of it that they were kind of like, it's going to be like the Twilight Zone in space instead of being like, it's like I Love Lucy yeah. in space, but serious. Yeah. There's very little conflict or development between the crew, especially in this episode. They didn't talk to each other or have any kind of like chemistry, mm-hmm. it felt like. Maybe that's why I didn't like it. It's it's the crew as like one single organism versus mm-hmm. the antagonist. And it's, you know, there, it, you don't have the soap opera airs that you'll have in TNG. Um, and, and, I, and I don't know, did DS9 have that a lot where like, this plot story doesn't really go anywhere. It's just more about like talking about yes. like a romantic relationship. Oh my gosh. I, I think in DS9 more than any other Star Trek, you really get a feel for the relationships yeah. between people. Like everyone in that show has a relationship with most other characters and you can know like who's friends with who, who doesn't like who. 
and everyone I feel like has their own special relationships with each other. There's like in DS9. in DS9, there's like whole plot arcs of like this character feels awkward around that character, and that's like a mm-hmm. multi-episode arc. Like not even like mm-hmm. mad or having a grudge, but just like this is weird. <laughs> I think yeah, I would say it's definitely not an ensemble cast, but. Maybe because Kirk has those moments of, like, humor or personality, I definitely see why he became this, like, cult hero or, like, why he Mm -hmm. is really a big deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, William Shatner carried this episode. Like, I think, I thought he was really good in it. Like, all of his stare downs with Charlie and um, basically every scene he was in, I thought he did a great job. Shatner definitely has a charisma about him that makes him fun to watch and fun to watch him act in this show that is i mean it's not star trek but it is fun to watch him do his thing yeah charisma is a good word for that clint and i also feel i don't you know it seems like spock isn't developed as much he feels like very much a background character uh in this show so it'd be nice to see him kind of like come to the forefront more i i feel like i'm gonna eat i'm sorry just real quick i feel like i'm gonna eat my words a little bit because we have we don't have scotty or sulu really on mm-hmm. this show yet and spock's not bill i feel like i'm making f- i'm like saying based on my first three episodes of the simpsons in 19 1988 <laughs> i think this is a terrible show right so i'm gonna be That's a little really careful bad. i was just this, gonna but. say it feels like the writers were not sure what people would like about the show uh mm-hmm. and so we aren't getting spock and sulu and scotty i don't really know what scotty is uh, i know spock and sulu but like so we're not getting that and i i wonder if it is this thing that once it aired people reacted so warmly to kirk that they were like oh this is what people like okay well we'll do more of that or if it just evolved that way but yeah it feels like they're not quite sure what like the heart of the series is and i guess that's that's the first episode or the first season for most shows Mm -hmm. much like charlie this this show is still fighting itself (laughs) it's fighting its development (laughs) yeah and it's and it's hungry all over just like oh god ew ew uh what about uh janice what do you guys think of her because she's kind of been a main component um of the last couple episodes or She's got a, a decent amount of screen time. She does. And she's one where I feel like when you hear the, about the cast and stuff, like, she almost never comes up. Yeah. And I did some research, and after the first uh, season, she actually leaves the show. Um, what I read was because of budgetary concerns, they needed to her salary to pay other actors. Oh, that sucks. I was going to say, I like her character mm-hmm. so far. She has excellent hair and um, slightly more personality than others, so... Before we started recording, I did promise Emily, too, that I'd talk about um, her hair. Uh, so I found out that... Janice's hair, not that mine. Hair, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I already talk enough shit about your hair in real life, Emily. Um, but Janice's hair, um, so it's a cone. It's like a mesh cone. And they took two different wigs and, like, weaved the wigs through that cone. And then they and just, they it's like a hat it. on top yeah. of her head. Yeah, and I think they... She said that they nailed it on every morning. What? Um, so <laughs> oh my god. I'm sure it was a process to get it on there. Um, and then in universe, they say that she she would just stick her head in the machine and it would instantly do her hair like that for her. No, I still have my COVID hair, so uh, I wish I had a machine that would do it. Uh, and talking shit about my hair is perfectly warranted right now. But yeah, Janice's beehive is perhaps 
one of my favorite things. She's it's the best character of the show right now. <laughs> Kirk has the most personality. Kirk and the Beehive. Yeah. <laughs> this is. Uh, this... But I I like her too. I'm sorry. Go on. I was going to say this has been a crossover with your YouTube Clint's hair tutorials. <laughs> Just trying to get that started. Yeah. I do like Janice a lot though. She's she's a pretty decent character, I would say. Um, you know, since it's the '60s, she doesn't get too much to do. Um, other than, I mean, she's kind of like damsel in distress status in this episode. Yep. Um, but in the other one, she was like kind of the voice of reason. Like she was like, your plants are being weird when he's here. And she's like, why don't you give it salt or something? Like she was kind of the audience surrogate in that one. I felt. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think she, what's she's her job? A woman, so like we said, she's a waitress. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. But w- <laughs> I don't know. This job? is the, the mystery. This is what I <laughs> actually started this podcast to find out is what do you yeoman yeoman do on on star trek the tos so we'll get there one day Corey. <laughs> that's the whole reason once we find out we'll be like hey clint do you want to record next week you're just like no it's done right. and yeah this podcast have served when i purpose. used to i used to work at a hospital in a restaurant and like you wouldn't know what your job was until you got there you just like look at your code for the day and it's like oh cool i'm doing dishes today or oh i'm serving on the third floor or i'm on the food line um that's how i feel like things might be run on the enterprise here where like sulu just shows up and like looks at his shift report and he's like oh man i'm the i'm a botanist today nurse janice shows up oh damn it i gotta serve everyone food on the bridge because it does seem a little bit fluid um but th- that's to say, I I did like one thing about this episode is like while Charlie's walking around for two thirds of the episode, you just see people like working and every single person working just looks like like a new, like a blue collar New Yorker. <laughs> They're just like in the thick of it with their overalls and they're like, you know, pawing hey, at Sally, the instruments. Hey, Sally, give me the and... wrench. <laughs> yeah, there was yeah, that for guy sure. He was just like feeding that like PVC pipe. Yeah. Like he was just like, do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like he was just like, yeah, yeah. Like what's going on here? It does feel like they're following. I think in an earlier episode, I said that they they are doing this a lot like a ship like the little whistles and there's a part where someone was painting something which you do on a ship so things don't rust and so i do feel like they are kind of like yeah like star trek is down at the docks they're not like the best and brightest of starfleet yet it's like the the sailors and the stevedores unloading all of the things and trying to unionize (laughs) see i kind of like that vision because in tng we get we get like I had to work my entire life to get on the Enterprise, and I'm not going to give it up for anything. But I'd like to be like, welcome to the USS Scully. We, you know, breakfast is at seven. Do your best every day. We, get we drunk swap with the out all buckets tonight. around here, kid. <laughs> if you want to fight the captain shirtless, he'll just let you do that. He'll teach you to fight, but you got to tumble first. Them's the rules. You gotta learn how to fall. Also, another thing that was interesting was uh, that Tina girl, because she was, like, someone Charlie's age. So they have, like, 17-year-old interns also on the Enterprise. (laughs) That's right, because this isn't, like, a family, like, crew one or anything. This is... Yeah. She... It's it's professionals. She, yeah, Tina's this often. We found at our last port. She stowed away, and so we gave her a uniform and a job. 
<laughs> yeah, she's a blonde. Everyone on here is a blonde. We're not going to take some brunette Shanghai. It is strange, though, that the 60s were really about the blondes, and it was, like, notable yeah. in, like, Gilligan's Island that um, Marianne was not a blonde, right? Like, uh-huh. that made her unique. Like, that was her shtick, is that she wasn't You'd a, a young blonde woman. in a post, uh, very recent post-World War II world, people would have been a little a little less leery to look so Aryan all the time. I mean, as we're finding out today, yeah. it just, it kind of, like, never went away. It was just in the surface, that <laughs> love for blondes. I, I thought you meant Nazism, but yes, blondes as well, yeah. <laughs> blondes, blondes are the root cause of Nazism, <laughs> as we... <laughs> oh, don't say that, Clint. You want to keep this at this podcast, don't you? As we said on the last podcast, dames. Dames. Is that just how this every episode ends? Dames. Dames. This time it's just dames. blondes. So one thing I wanted to bring up too is, did you guys notice they were talking about Thanksgiving? I loved that. Yes. Um. So I'm just wondering if, like, you know, this kind of like 22nd century enlightened civilization. Like, do they still celebrate Thanksgiving, which is an American holiday that is basically, you know, like, tied to probably the worst genocide in, like, Earth history? Have you not heard of the genocide of Drazakal before, Clint? That one's way worse than this one. Don't even (laughs) compare us. Uh, now we're getting into really dangerous territory. We all know, we all know that all Starfleet's, uh officers are american clint come on yeah or or uh british people pretending, pretending to, be, to french. be french yeah <laughs> yeah there was a british guy in star trek enterprise what was his i name? think Montgomery? it was reed right he was he was I not was gonna oh, ask if he was most evil. that's all i remember no he was very just like milk toast I think I think yeah, that means boring. No, no, I'm actually not right. sure. Yeah, he was like the the most boring part of of Enterprise. The actor was fine, yeah. just the part was boring. Um, to answer your question about Thanksgiving, I don't have an answer, but I do have a trivia fact. This also comes from IMDb, where the the guy who comes on to the uh, the the announce like the loudspeaker, geez, and says, "Captain, we put in meatloaf to make your fake turkey, but it turns out there's real turkey in there instead." Uh, because Charlie had transformed the meatloaf into real turkey to give everybody like a little Thanksgiving miracle to enjoy. The the voice of the person that does that is none other than oh. Gene Roddenberry. And it was only one of two or three times that he ever had any like physical part of him appear on the that's show. Pretty, that's pretty good little trivia. Yeah. He, he's... I know. <laughs> I think I can hear you straining to pat yourself on the back. Yeah, there, you're Corey. so proud. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, guys, uh, what did we learn this week? What was the moral of the story? Well, we learned how to make the braided beehive hairdo, which might have been mm. the most profitable thing. I think uh, I learned that 17 is an awkward age, uh, especially if you have uh, super mind powers. It just makes it worse. You didn't learn that that was an awkward age when you were actually 17? I I was the smoothest 17-year-old you ever met. Oh, my God. (laughs) I felt that if if Wesley Crusher taught us anything, (laughs) it's that teenagers have no place on the the Starship Enterprise. I, yeah, how many times must we learn this? 
the line's drawn here, no further. That's that's from Star Trek uh, First Contact. Anyway. <laughs> I think that's a, a good place to end it. So um, until we see you next time, keep on trekking.